Good morning. Let me begin by asking a question to get you thinking about the issue that we're going to be exploring, the issue that Jesus talks about in the next section of the Sermon on the Mount that we are going to be looking at today. It's Matthew chapter 6, beginning at verse 19, if you want to grab a Bible and turn there. Now, don't answer out loud, just for the moment, keep this between you and God. But the question is, what would you say is your greatest treasure? What's your greatest treasure? Or to ask it another way, what is it that you value the most? I use the word treasure because that's the word Jesus uses in the section we're going to be looking at. And he's not talking about an old wooden chest buried by pirates in the sand, filled with gold coins and precious jewels. He's talking about the things in our lives that we, that we most value, that we most prize, the things we treasure most. What are those things for you? Now, that can be a tricky question to answer, especially when you're sitting in a church building. And, uh, you know, you might feel compelled to give an answer that sounds right, an answer that sounds spiritual, uh, even though it may not be accurate. So I want to really encourage you to be very honest with yourself about the treasure that you're really pursuing in life. And you think, well, how, how do I know what that is? Well, let me give you some clues, some things to think about. Here's one. What do you daydream about? When your mind just kind of slips into neutral, where does it go? What is it that you would like to see happen in your life? What would you like to have? What would you like to do? Or, here's another one, um, what do you devote your time and energy to? What do you devote your time to, your energy to? You say, well, I have to work. Well, okay, but... You know, how'd you end up with that kind of work, and what, 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 where does your, especially your, you know, spare time, where does that go? And then maybe most revealing of all, what do you spend your money on? What do you spend your money on? Especially that uh, sort of mythical thing we call discretionary money, you know, spare change, what, whatever. But, you know, as you, as you consider, if you have a budget, and you should, and you look at it, what, what, what is, where's the priorities? Everybody pursues treasure. Everybody values something highly. And according to Jesus, the kind of treasure that we pursue has just an, a, a massive and even eternal influence on our lives. Let's take a look. Matthew chapter 6, beginning at verse 19. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where moth and rust do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also." The eye is the lamp of the body. So if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. Just a little aside here. 
Jesus has changed kind of the figure of speech from treasure to light and darkness with regard to our eyes. And apparently in the culture of the day, uh, a, a bad eye was a greedy or covetous eye. So he's still on the topic of treasure, what you value. If the light in you is darkness, how great is that darkness? And it changes the picture again. Now we're talking about masters and servants. No one can serve two masters. For either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. And with that last word, we see he's still talking about treasure. So heavenly treasure versus earthly treasure. Light versus darkness. Serving God versus serving money. These are very sharp contrasts, aren't they? Two very, very different ways of living when it comes to treasure. When it comes to pursuing what is most valuable to us and and whatever that is. What we treasure has consequences, big consequences, and they last forever. See, this is really important stuff. Because you and I make lots of decisions every, you know, Every day, every week, every month, we make lots of decisions on our life based on what we treasure most. It affects what we do with our time, what we do with our money, how we kind of orient our lives, what we orient our lives around, all based on whatever it is we treasure the most. And so it's important that we think through what Jesus is talking about here. And I think the real interesting thing here is what Jesus is telling us. He's telling us how to gain real treasure. That might not what people would think Jesus would say. You might think he would tell us, don't pursue treasure. Don't do that. That's not spiritual. That's a false spirituality. That's not what Jesus says. What he's telling us is how to pursue the treasure that really matters. So here's how to gain real treasure. He tells us by giving us both a don't and a do. So we'll start with the don't. How to gain real treasure? Don't store it up. Don't lay it up on earth. Don't lay it up on earth. In other words, to put it another way, don't devote your life to the accumulation of earthly treasures. Now, that's a big don't for us because we live in a culture that is constantly telling us to do exactly the opposite. By all means, accumulate earthly treasures. Keep the economy going. Come on. Get out there and accumulate. I uh, spoke to our seniors uh, a couple months ago, and I talked to them about uh, a common American affliction, which is called accumulitis. We live in a culture that promotes the accumulation of earthly treasures. Jesus says don't do that. And the interesting thing to see is why he says that's a bad idea. Why is that a bad idea according to Jesus? Why not lay up? Why not accumulate earthly treasures? Is it because they're bad? Look carefully because that's not what he says. He says don't store up treasures on earth because they don't last. Any of you notice that? Moth and rust destroy. Thieves break in and steal. Jesus is not against treasure. 
He's not against us being motivated by gain. In fact, he assumes we are. He assumes we are going to be acting in the way that we think is in our best interests. And that's the trouble with storing up earthly treasure. It's not in our best interests. It's contrary to what God wants us to experience in life. Earthly treasure is not a problem because it's so evil. Earthly treasure is a problem because it's so temporary, so short-lived. Now, I personally have been throwing away a lot of stuff lately. I've been helping someone move out of a home that they've lived in for 25 years, and the home they lived in before that, I think pretty much everything that was there went to the, that home. And, and there was a need to downsize very drastically. And as I've experienced that, I've seen something. What I've seen is it really doesn't matter how nice your stuff is. It doesn't matter how much you like it. It doesn't matter how much you paid for it. And it doesn't matter how long you hold on to it and how tightly you hold on to it. Sooner or later, it all ends up in a landfill or a recycling center. All of it. Nice clothes wear out too soon. Nice cars? Hey, nice car. It's going to break. Appliances, tools, toys of every kind, it doesn't matter how nice they are, how much you pay for them. They're going to get old. They're going to break. They're going to stop working. Earthly treasures just don't last. It's not that you might lose your earthly wealth. You absolutely will lose it. All of it. Every last bit of it. There are no exceptions to this. Either our earthly wealth leaves us while we live, as the Bible says, it makes wings and flies away. It either leaves us while we live or we leave it when we die. 100% of it. All of it. It's all temporary. Earthly treasure. You know, if we would believe that, it should make a big difference in how we spend our money. I want to explain this with an illustration that Randy Alcorn uses in his book, The Treasure Principle. I've used this before, but I think it makes the point very well. I want you to imagine you're back at the time of the Civil War. And uh, during the Civil War, wherever you were living, you ended up accumulating a lot of Confederate currency. Okay, that's the only money that was any good in the South. That's the only place it was good was in the South. So you've got a bunch of it. Now, you've come to figure out that the North is going to win, and they're going to win soon. What should you do with your Confederate money? Well, if you're smart, there's really only one answer. You should exchange it as much as you can for U.S. currency, because that's the only currency that will have any value once the war is over. You should only keep enough Confederate currency to meet your short-term needs. Now, apply that analogy to earthly treasure. The currencies of this world, whether we're talking about, you know, paper money, gold, silver, you name it, whatever has value in this world, the currencies of this world will become worthless 
when Jesus returns as he promised to, or when we die. Either one of those things could happen at any moment. Now, while we are still living in this world, we have to use its currencies to live, to buy the things we need. And there's nothing wrong with that. In fact, God tells us that we're responsible to provide for our family's needs. 1 Timothy 5.8. But if anyone does not provide for his relatives and especially for members of his household, he has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. Well, that's pretty strong. You know, so this whole idea of being a deadbeat, not taking care of your family, uh, God's not okay with that. But notice what else the Bible says. It says, if we have food and clothing or food and covering, with these we will be content. Great verse for Americans. (laughs) There is a difference, isn't there? We all know there is. There's a difference between meeting our family's needs and satisfying our family's greeds. Those are two different things. Jesus is saying, do not invest, do not invest your earthly wealth in a bunch of luxuries that don't last, that you don't really need, because, because they don't last. To accumulate earthly treasure that will soon be worthless makes as much sense as stockpiling Confederate money. The point is not, the point is not that storing up earthly treasure is wrong. That probably is, but that's not the point. The point is, it's stupid. Storing up treasure on earth is stupid. I don't want to be stupid. Storing up treasure on earth is stupid. I don't want to be stupid. Let's all say that together. (laughs) Ready? Storing up treasure on earth is stupid, and I don't want to be stupid. You guys are wise people. If you want treasure, and and we all do, don't store it up on earth. Don't do it. Instead, now here's the do Jesus gives us, do send it up to heaven. Do send it up to heaven. Now, if you'd stopped reading at verse 19, you might think Jesus was against us storing up treasures for ourselves. That's not true. Actually, he not only expects us to store up treasures for ourselves, he commands it. Interesting. Verse 20 is a command. Lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven. Do it. Do it. The problem's not laying up treasure, it's laying up the wrong kind of treasure. Instead of storing up temporary earthly treasures that won't last, Jesus tells us to store up permanent heavenly ones that will last. He wants us to invest in that which will last forever. Do you know why? Do you know why he wants us to invest in that which lasts forever? Because he wants us to experience lasting joy. Is that hard to believe? Do you find that hard to believe? Because maybe you're looking at your life saying, I don't know, I'm not sure Jesus is committed to my lasting joy. Oh, he absolutely is. 
Look at John 15, 10 and 11. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you. I'm telling you this about keeping my commandments and abiding in my love. I'm telling you this for this reason. These things I've spoken to you, that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be complete. Now, I've had people say to me on many occasions, I know God wants me to be happy. The problem is, usually when they say that, it's an introduction to what's coming next, which is, therefore, that's why I'm not going to do what the Bible teaches. Because I know God wants me to be happy. I agree. God wants you to be happy. God wants you and me to be filled with his joy. That's why we should do what the Bible teaches, because that's the point. He's telling us what to do so we will be happy. So anytime you say, well, I know a guy wants me to be happy, therefore I'm not going to do what the Bible says, you got it absolutely backwards, completely upside down. I am telling you this to keep my commandments and abide in my love so that my joy may be in you and your joy may be full. Our problem is we are so short-sighted in our thinking and we somehow think that if we do it other than God's way, we'll be happier. And that's never true. Maybe a short-term thrill, but the long-term consequences are not happy. He wants, you, he wants us to obey his commands for the joy it will bring us. And storing up treasures in heaven is one of his commands. Do it. Lay up treasures in heaven. Because I want you to experience lasting joy. Yeah, people get suspicious when you talk like this. They figure I've got an ulterior motive. I'm the hired holy man, you know. <laughs> Will you believe me if I, if I believed this and I taught this long before I ever got a paycheck from a church? And not because it was so, I'm so brilliant, but just because I saw it in the scripture and I was taught it. And I've experienced it. It's true. Jesus wants us to lay up treasures for ourselves in heaven for the joy that it brings. Now, maybe we should, you know, analyze part of this. Does that sound selfish to you if I say, pursue your joy, lay up treasures for the joy it will bring? Maybe that sounds selfish, but that's not what the Bible says. Our problem is not that we pursue joy. Our problem is when we pursue joy in the wrong places. Psalm 37.4, delight yourself in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. Psalm 90, verse 14, Lord, this is one of my favorite verses, Lord, satisfy us in the morning with your unfailing love. God wants us to be satisfied. Satisfy us in the morning with your unfailing love so that we may sing for joy and be glad all our days. I love that. We've got to see this. It's not selfish to seek our joy in God. It's worship. It's worship. You and I are going to seek joy in something. You can't help it. You were wired that way. You were created that way. You're going to seek joy and satisfaction in something. 
But when we seek our ultimate joy and satisfaction in anything less than God, it's idolatry. And idols never satisfy. If they did, we wouldn't see this constant pursuit of things that aren't God. And there's always, I need more. I need more. I got to have more. This latest and greatest toy isn't latest and greatest enough. Oh, they came out with a new iPhone. (laughs) Or whatever. When we seek our ultimate satisfaction, anything less than God is idolatry. And here's the thing. That not only dishonors God, it sets us up for major disappointment because idols don't satisfy. But when we come to God as the one and only who can satisfy that deep raging thirst within for joy and satisfaction. When we come to him and we say, you, O God, you alone are my heart's desire, and I long to worship you, that glorifies him. Say, okay, well, what's I got to do with storing up treasure? I'm just trying to tell you, it's not selfish. It's smart. And it glorifies God. When we pursue heavenly treasure because we're saying that only heavenly treasure is ultimately worth having. Selfishness is when we pursue our own benefit apart from benefiting anyone else or glorifying God. So selfish, it's selfish if I go to the potluck that's coming up later and I take all of the desserts and you can't have any. That's selfish. It's also stupid. (laughs) Selfishness is lavishing luxury on myself while you go without your basic needs. Selfishness is caring more about me having a comfortable retirement than caring about the millions of people in our world who don't know Christ and are headed to an eternity without him. I was just reading the other day. Uh, about what's going on in the Middle East and the whole conflict in Syria. Right now, there are three million refugees from Syria who've been displaced from their homeland or basically living in tents. Three million of them, half of those three million, a million and a half, are children. And what's so interesting about this is that there are Christians in those camps who are meeting needs in the name of Jesus and sharing his good news, and they never would have had that opportunity apart from this. There is an incredible strategic moment happening right now. But if I'm selfish, I'm not going to be concerned about that. I'm going to you know, just lay up treasures for myself on earth. And here's the point. That's not only selfish, it's stupid, because what do I get? I get a bunch of earthly treasure that won't last And I miss out on the enduring, eternal, heavenly treasure. That's where the joy is. It's not just selfish. It's stupid. It's such a waste. Okay, so how do you store up treasures in heaven? You do it by using earthly treasures for heavenly purposes. Use your earthly treasures for heavenly purposes. Use them to meet your family's needs, by all means. The Bible tells you to. Feed and clothe your family. 
Use your earthly treasures to feed and clothe others who are in need. For example, sponsor children in desperately poor situations so that they can have food and clothes so they can hear the good news of Jesus. Use your earthly treasures to spread his good news around the world and across the street. Use your earthly treasures to help people grow. Come to know Jesus and become disciples in your own church. Use your earthly treasures for heavenly purposes. Or, to say it another way, give generously to accomplish God's kingdom work. Give generously to accomplish God's kingdom work. And do it, not because you have to, but because you want to lay up treasure that lasts forever. Now, inevitably, when we talk about this, giving to God's kingdom work, whenever that comes up, people always want to know how much they should give. Now, that can be a very good practical question. As you're kind of looking at your whole situation and, and how to do it and all that, that's, that's a good practical question to ask. And I'm going to try to give you some good practical guidance here in just a second. But at first, I think it's important to consider why we might be asking that question. Because there are a couple of possibilities why we might say, well, how much? How much do I give to God's kingdom work? Because with sensuous, the right answer is, well, all of it. Properly understood. But see, there could be a couple of possibilities. We might be asking because we're just looking for practical help in how to do it. Or we might be trying to figure out how to give as little as possible to God's work and still feel like I'm okay with God. And if that's what we're doing, we've completely missed the point that Jesus is making. If we're asking to achieve balance between meeting our family's needs and meeting you know, the needs of the world and, and accomplishing, that's great because that is all, all of it, is the pursuit of heavenly treasure. But if we're asking because really deep down inside we really value earthly treasure more than heavenly treasure, then we need to listen carefully again to Jesus' warning. Let it sink in. You cannot serve God and money. You cannot. Please notice he doesn't say you shouldn't. You shouldn't, but that's not what he says. He says we can't. You can't do it. You cannot have God as your greatest treasure. God and his kingdom purposes. You can't have God and his will as your greatest treasure. And at the same time, have your greatest treasure be earthly wealth and the things it can buy. You can't do it. You're talking about two completely different ways of living. You can't do them both. You've got to choose. So, let's assume your motive is to lay up as much treasure in heaven as you can for your joy and for the joy of others. How much should you give? Well, I've got a couple of practical recommendations here based on what the Bible teaches. First, practical recommendation, start with the tithe. 10%. That's what tithe means. It's an old word. It means 10%. I don't know why we don't just translate it 10%, but I'm not in charge. Tithe means 10%. I think the tithe is the training wheels of giving. Okay, why do we put training wheels on kids' bikes? <laughs> uh, because it's better than buying a lot of Band-Aids, maybe, or I don't know. 
No, we put, we put training wheels on kids' bikes so that they can experience what it feels like to ride a bike and begin to enjoy it and, and gain confidence in it, and then we can take the wheels off and they can go beyond the training wheels. Well, I think that's how the tithe works. It trains us how to give. It trains us how to feel the joy of it so that we can go beyond it. Now, in the Old Testament law, the tithe was the minimum standard for the Israelites, all of them. Rich ones, poor ones, everybody. The 10% was the standard, the basic minimum. Leviticus 27.30, a tithe of everything from the land, whether grain from the soil or fruit from the trees, belongs to the Lord. It is holy to the Lord. So they were to bring these offerings to the Lord. There were also, beyond that, there were free will offerings above and beyond that, but 10% was the basic. And it was to come right off the top. Proverbs uh, 3, 9 and 10. Honor the Lord with your wealth, with the first fruits. Notice that word. First fruits of all your produce. Then your barns will be filled with plenty, and your vats will be bursting with wine. Now, you get to the New Testament, the tithe is not restated as a law. The New Testament standard is different. You know what it is? Generosity. That's the New Testament standard. Notice 2 Corinthians 9.11. The Apostle Paul, now here he's writing to some Christians who are experiencing prosperity and asking them to give to some Christians who are going through some really hard times. And this is what he says. You will be made rich in every way so that. Okay. So that what? Why would God enrich the lives of his people? So that you can be generous on every occasion. Why does God bless us with so much when he does? It's not so we can keep raising our standard of living. It's so we can keep raising our standard of giving to be more and more generous. Why? Because that's laying up treasures in heaven that last forever. Remember, laying up treasures on earth is what? Stupid. And you don't want to be stupid. You told me that. I heard it. (laughs) So the question is, now as we think about tithing, here's the question. Do you think the New Testament standard of generosity is a higher standard or a lower standard than tithing? Do we think that God expects American Christians who live in the wealthiest society in human history, does God expect us to give less than he expected of the poorest Israelite? I don't think so. So my recommendation is start with the tithe if you can. Now, if you absolutely can't, then make it a goal you work toward. And then here's the second recommendation. Strive to go beyond. Strive to get beyond the training wheels. The tithe is the place to start, not the place to stop. The tithe is the floor. It's not the ceiling. Remember, if our goal is to store up treasure in heaven, we're not going to want to give as little as we can. We're going to want to give as much as we can. Luke 6, 38, Jesus says, Give, and it will be given to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaking together, running over. It will be poured into your lap. For with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. How do you want God to measure out his blessings to you? Do you want God to measure out his blessings to you with one of these or with one of these? 
So where? Where should you give it? Another practical issue. Well, again, I'll give you some recommendations that I think are consistent with what the Bible teaches. One of the reasons God puts us in churches, in church families, is so that we can share our gifts, our talents, our abilities, and our resources to accomplish his purposes together. All right? So we prayerfully, as a church, and carefully develop a budget, like the one we're going to vote on at the family meeting later today, and we're saying, in effect, okay, this is what we think God's called us to do. This is what we think God wants us to do. So then we approve it, and then we give to make it happen. So if you want to know where the money goes when you put it in the offering plate, then by all means, come to the meeting, pick up the budget, look at it, look it over. It really does take all of us together, relying on the Lord, giving as He enables us, pursuing generosity to accomplish the things He wants us to do. Church is a partnership. We give to do God's work together. And so I would say it like this. Just as the tithe is the amount to start, I think your church, whether it's this church or if you're visiting or a guest from out of town or wherever, wherever your church is, just as the tithe is the, the, the amount to start, your local church should be the place to start. Because the church is God's idea for his people doing his work together. Now, as we go beyond the tithe, then we can look for all kinds of additional partnerships beyond the church for us to invest in God's purposes and lay up treasure in heaven. So, sponsoring children. I talked about that earlier. Um, we've been doing that for years. It's, it's just a great way of connecting with kids in need and sharing the good news of Jesus in a very tangible way with them. Uh, contributing to our Operation Christmas Child project. Most of that is off budget, but it's a big thing, and God uses that. Or give to missionaries that you know personally. Or support other ministries that you're passionate about. You know, if there is an area of need in the world, I'll bet there's a ministry that's devoted to it, and you can partner with it. There is no lack of opportunity if we are really focused on God's priorities. And that's really where I want to end. Giving is ultimately about making God and his priorities our ultimate treasure. Giving is not mainly to be a duty or a responsibility. I think it is, but that's not the main. That's not the heart of it. It's about God making him our ultimate treasure, making his priorities our ultimate priorities. It's about trusting God. It's about thanking God. It's about honoring God. It's about delighting in God. It's about using God's money, because it's all his. I didn't even spend any time on that, but it's all his. Using God's money to do God's work to experience God's joy using God's money to do God's work to experience God's joy. If you think about it, God's like a dad who gives his little kids money so that they can do something good with it. And they get all excited and all joyful, you know. It's like it's his money. But he loves them and he wants them to experience the pleasure, the joy of it. God's money, using God's money to do God's work in order to experience God's joy. God is the greatest treasure of all. Jesus 
is the gospel. Knowing him is a free gift. Okay, none of this is about earning God's approval, earning God's favor, earning being right with God. There is no earning being right with God. Being right with God is a gift. We receive that gift in Jesus. And when he is our greatest treasure, the more we know him, the more we trust him, the more we treasure him, the more joy we will ultimately experience. Let's, let's pause and pray. I want to ask you just to bow with me. Uh, making God our greatest treasure really is not simply a one-time thing. Um, it starts with a one-time thing of saying yes to Jesus Christ and realizing that he alone can make you right with God and choosing to say, Jesus, I want to believe you and trust you. I know I, I deserve judgment, but you came to give me life and I want that. So it starts with that, but then it's a daily battle. We are surrounded by a culture that says, lay up treasures on earth. And we need to hear Jesus lay up treasure in heaven. So I'm going to give you just a minute for you to talk to the Lord and ask him to help you treasure that which is most valuable. And I'll do the same here and close in just a minute. Father, will you help us? Will you help us see past the hype, see past the advertising, see past the uh, the glitter of earthly treasure? And will you help us see what truly is most valuable, and incline our hearts to that? Help us pursue the treasure that lasts. Thank you for giving us the gift of yourself. You are the ultimate treasure. Help us live like that. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.